0: Hello, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. This month, we're bringing you two podcasts from our Tragic Misadventures night that happened in collaboration with Kit Lovelace's Romantic Misadventure, which took place on Wednesday, the 9th of July. And after that, we're going to have a couple of episodes that showcase some of the best Performances that we've had since we started going three years ago. To find out more about Romantic Misadventure, go to romanticmisadventure.com and to find out more about Kit Lovelace, who runs that night, follow him on Twitter at Kit Lovelace. Stand Up Tragedy are taking the tragedy up to the Edinburgh Festival again this year. We're going to be on at 7.30pm every day from the 2nd to the 24th of August at the Banshee Labyrinth Banqueting Hall. We're on as part of the Free Fringe and we'll have a different lineup of amazing tragic acts every night. We'll be releasing at least two podcasts a week while we're up there, so if you can't make it to Edinburgh, you can still hear a hell of a lot of the tragedy. You can help make the tragedy happen by donating via PayPal on our website, www.standuptragedy.co.uk. So that's enough from me. Here's act two of Tragic Misadventures. Okay, right. So welcome back to act two of Stand Up Tragedies collaboration with Romantic Misadventures. I'm going to bring Joe back up to the stage to, and you guys are going to vote on the scent, so Joe, if you'd like to come back up to the stage and join me. Yeah, that's right, a round of applause. That's the kind of thing I should be encouraging, but you're doing a better job than me, I like that.
1: Oh, okay. Right. Okay,
2: so um, we, I think we'll just do this with a, with cheers. So, number one yeah. was... Tra- tragic breakup so that seemed quite popular number two is the the tragic drunk <laughs> no and number three is the tragedy yeah! of war
0: oh okay so number I, one <laughs> number three i think it's, it's definitely one isn't it's it it's one Okay, so Tragic, what is the actual official name of the scent? Uh, Tragic Breakup. Tragic Breakup wins. Tragic Breakup, you're going to Edinburgh. Wow. Joe's going to go down off the stage now. And I'm going to welcome up to the stage the amazing co-host of mine tonight, Kit
2: Lovelace. (laughs) Hi, hello. Um, So, half the reason that I uh, run this night uh, is because uh, I'm a shameless (laughs) (laughs) self-promoter. And I've been writing a book. So, uh, uh, a number of years ago, I wrote a column for The Guardian. People are laughing. Is my fly undone? (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I used to write Comfort for the Guardian, and I changed my uh, real-life love life into a choose-your-own-adventure story. A real-life choose-your-own-adventure story. So I had people voting on uh, the way my love life worked, uh, and I thought the natural, logical extension of that was to change my entire romantic history into a uh, second-person, do-as-you-please romp. Uh, (laughs) So I've written that. It's now a thing that exists in the world, and... uh, I did it, and it involves a lot of my past girlfriends and uh, other such (laughs) uh, things, (laughs) assorted. (laughs) Uh, I mean that with all due respect. And one of them, in fact, (laughs) within about 24 hours of this uh, becoming available to the public at large, uh, one of my ex-girlfriends found out about it. Uh, And mercifully, it's an all right passage. But I thought I would... uh, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, mercifully, she's an all right sort of passage, Christ, PC Brigade's in. Um, The section I wrote about her was all right. I'm going to read it to you and you will get your options to vote on this. So what we will do is we'll go through it. You will take the, uh, the place of me. Anna, and you get to decide on things. Uh, It's not hugely interactive, but there's a little bit of celebrity scandal in there. Genuine, bona fide celebrity scandal. So, uh... (laughs) We'll see how it goes. Chapter 24, After Dinner Magic. (laughs) Think of a TV magician. Any TV magician you like. Got one in mind? Okay. So, picture this TV magician sat at a long table at a restaurant, a table of, say, 20 other stage performers. He has sat slap-bang in the middle of one side, facing an attractive dancer with the most dazzling smile you're probably ever gonna see in your life. Her name is Gemma. Those who ordered one have just finished their pudding, and coffees and peppermint teas are currently being enjoyed by all. Pushing his plate to one side, the TV magician removes a deck of cards from the pocket of his jacket, which is hung over the back of his chair. A little after-dinner magic, my dear, he asks Gemma. Ooh, she says, a little flustered by the attention. Okay, then. Right-o, he says, unbuttoning his cuffs. He slices the cards from the packet and begins an effortless shuffle. His hands move as though he is playing with a small blob of dough. So what I'm going to do when I'm finished having a little shuffle here is get you to pick yourself out a card, okay? He smirks as he says, little shuffle, but the innuendo is lost on Gemma. She is busy concentrating on his hands. She picks a card. OK, so now what I want you to do, he says, reaching behind to his jacket pocket to bring out a marker pen, is to write something on the card to, you know, identify it, as it were. She removes the lid of the pen. So it could be your name, or, well, I, I know your name. I could forge that. It needs to be something I'd have no way of knowing. Something like, uh, oh, I don't know, say, a PIN number, or your phone number, or something like that. Savvy enough not to write her PIN down, but not quite savvy enough to think of anything else. She writes down the 11 digits of her actual phone number, nice and legibly. Now, without showing me, the magician continues, I want you to place your card back into the middle of the pack, or wherever you like, it doesn't have to be the middle. She sides the card back into the middle. The TV magician then goes on to perform an impressive routine in which the card appears to jump about the pack it flips between being face up and face down, it rises to the top of the pack, it sinks to the bottom, somehow ends up under the saucer of the guy sat next to her. Each and every time, the card is undeniably the same one, the one with her phone number written in her distinctively round and bubbly way. And then, for his final trick, he makes the card disappear from sight completely, gone, vanished, right into thin air, not a trace of it anywhere, unless you happen to check his trouser pocket. There's a small round of applause before the plates are cleared. The bill is settled and carriages are called. And no sooner has Gemma stepped into her taxi, her phone bleeped in her handbag. The message, from an unknown number, simply said, Clever, aren't I? This is not the only text she'll receive from this number. It is, however, the only clean one. Gemma is a friend of yours. She has been for many years. But when she tells you this story, something changes. It's one of those moments where you almost feel something physical shift in your body, a lever or a switch, somewhere releasing itself from one position and locking into another. And for reasons you can't explain but can definitely, definitely feel, you know that you are now pretty much in love with her. It's not an ideal situation. Not only is Gemma your sister's best friend, Gemma has an ex-boyfriend who has spent the best part of 18 months refusing to get over her, acting in much the same way that Romeo did shortly after he chanced upon the recently drugged Juliet. He's a friend of yours, a good friend, and he probably isn't going to take too kindly to you sniffing around his ex. This whole thing is ridiculous. It makes no sense for you to be feeling this way for a girl who has been right under your nose for six or seven years. It's irrational, impulsive, and impractical. Everything that everyone always claims is the case with true love. So what do you want to do? And these are your two options here. Before I do this, I want you to all, at the count of three, Shout out, and this is being recorded, so I don't want this to become libelous. But you all need to do this together. Just if you've got an idea of who the TV magician might be. <laughs> so just think about it for a second. I'm going to count to three. After three, I want you to shout out all as one who you reckon it's going to be. So that we don't libel any one person in particular. Unless we've all guessed it, in which case that's fine. Ready? Got it in mind? One, two, three. Absolutely, genuinely, well done. <laughs> true, true, 100% true. Uh, we might need to clip that, but yeah, absolutely true. Catch me afterwards, I'll tell you, I'll tell you um, how, that's, how that's the case. Sh- for continuity's sake, just uh, as deathly silent as you were when I finished, thank you. So here are your two options. A. Are you kidding? Are you actually kidding? You want to pursue a girl because a once famous, now semi-infamous, TV magician worked a bit of his charm on her. This is no way to start a relationship. No way at all. Try somebody else. Or B. So there's some issues. So you didn't seem interested at all until you realized there's a bit of competition for her attention, albeit in a rather peculiar form. (laughs) So what? Follow your fickle heart. Go for it. Uh, Up to three. A or B. One, two, three. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm running out of time here slightly, but what I, I will just, <laughs> I've got a feeling for the crowd, and I think this might end pretty quickly. So, here we go. Chapter 17, Texts speak. So this is what you'd, oh, this is actually fucking pretty brilliant on my part. I don't wanna. <laughs> I forgot about this, right? So this is what you do. You clip the rim of a plastic pint glass to one of the buttons on your shirt. Sort of there. And as it dangles from your front, you position your hands in the classic levitation pose. So it looks like you're dangling a pint glass, like you're levitating a pint glass. And you get your picture, your friend Will, to take a picture of you. Uh, You send the picture to Gemma with a simple caption. So I uh, I hear you're into magic now. (laughs) My reply was instant. Lol, how did you do that? Good to hear from Ooh. What Ooh up to, ATM XOX? Oh God, what the hell was that? What do you want to do? As much as you think Gemma is beautiful and fun and an all round delight in most other respects, there is no possible way you can deal with messages like that on a daily basis. Even as a single isolated incident, it's made you want to cry. Imagine this happening a handful of times a day. You'll give yourself an ulcer. No, send a polite message back, then act like the message was just a one-off. Or, B, you fucking snob. This is text speak, this is how people talk nowadays. Language evolves, words change, spellings differ. This is how the whole thing works. There's nothing more tiresome than a linguistic peasant, a pedant, or a linguistic, (laughs) or for that matter. Honestly, you're like one of those curmudgeonly old codgers who talk of the good old days and the way things used to be. No wonder nobody loves you. Stop being a dick. Text her back. Uh, just quickly ALB, one, two, three. Hey! Exactly, so it ends there. That's exactly what I did. That's exactly what I did. Right. And we're going for a drink tomorrow. Uh, so, lol. What are you up, ATM? Oh, I don't know, just going out with my ex-girlfriends a bit. Whoops. Anyway. uh... (laughs) Oh, Christ. You thought that was bad, just you wait. I want you to give huge claps, huge stamping of the feet for (sighs) how to describe, other than by her name and her name only. Lily Popkin.
3: I'm about to lower the tone significantly (laughs) I hope you've all had like maybe ten drinks while you were on the break Um, I knew this was gonna happen I knew that I was going to be really really terrible and so I've written a disclaimer I didn't have time to make it sound professional that's mainly because I don't know how to make things sound professional and also I'm lazy (laughs) there are bigger problems in the world get a grip anyway the disclaimer of sorts. This is how it goes. Hi, I'm Lily. I am a good person. (laughs) Things you should know about me. I never raise my arms on the tube in summer because I care about the environment. (laughs) I never eat pickled onion monster munch crisps if there is anyone sitting less than 10 feet away from me. I stopped showing my G-string circa 2001 and stopped wearing them altogether in 2005. I have never knowingly killed a person. I repeat, knowingly. I've never drowned a kitten, although four months ago I kicked a pigeon, but only (laughs) because. but only because it was fat and I misjudged its speed versus my Saturday night fever street strut. (laughs) Look, what I'm trying to say is that I'm okay. I can be nice. I'm on the amnesty mailing list. (laughs) And I'm getting better at recycling well, not actually, because I don't have space for two bins, but I think it's a really good idea. (laughs) Please try to remember this. All of this. End of disclaimer. And so, here we are. My terrible story. It's called That Time I Did a Blowjob and It Turned Into an Act of Vengeance That Was Not, For the Record, Totally Premeditated. (laughs) I was I was sexually what you call a late bloomer. Ish. The first time I did a sex on an actual human was when I was 18 years old. He told me after that we had made love. I knew shortly after that that this wasn't going to work out. It didn't matter. I much preferred him to the group of girls that had ad- adopted me um, at uni. They were unpleasant. They were the kind of girls that drew strength from the weakness of others. I don't know why I was of any interest to them because back then I wore hella Adidas and polyester. <laughs> <laughs> they had boyfriends called Malcolm. Three of them spoke Spanish and Italian. One came from a family that owned two castles in Bavaria, which I later learned was an actual place. <laughs> I come from Brent. I've only recently learnt how to correctly pronounce stoic. I've been been saying stoic for 33 years. If I've learnt anything, it's that you'll never be a successful mean girl if you don't know how to say banal properly, especially if you pronounce it banal. (laughs) Anyway, this boyfriend, let's call him, I don't know, Jamie. I didn't have time to change the name. (laughs) Jamie generously took it upon himself to teach me everything there was to know about sex. It didn't take very long. He was from Leeds. (laughs) We used to spend days, nights, afternoons in bed. He'd teach me how to move my body, and I'd watch Countdown over his shoulder. (laughs) Sometimes murder, she wrote. (laughs) The unpleasants had caught on to the fact that I had a boyfriend and insisted on meeting him. Why didn't I want to introduce him to the girls? Was he a loser? What was I hiding? And so it went. The head mean girl was called Nancy. She had been having an affair with her high school history teacher for the past two years. She was from the Isle of Wight. These two facts combined made it easier to fathom why she had both her nipples tattooed with permanent makeup. (laughs) Second in charge was a girl called Serene. I loved Serene. She was my very first friend at uni. Before Nancy found us, she and I would talk revolution and velvet flares and how to speak, how, how easy it was to learn Italian if you already knew how to speak Spanish. Now, she preferred wearing visible underwear with invisible straps and did rudios with a much older guy called Malcolm, who wore black polo necks and made me feel stabby when he played Radiohead on his guitar. (laughs) Hashtag uni things, hashtag youth culture. There were others, but Nancy and Serene ran things, and they wanted to meet my boyfriend. So, one autumn afternoon, I invited them over for coffee. Now, I remember putting sugar in the cups, and I remember putting the coffee in. What I don't remember clearly is how I had in my possession four sachets of a laxative powder, or how that powder ended up perfectly distributed in each cup. (laughs) This is a secret. I'm telling you my secrets. I'm telling you something that's hard for me to talk about because I realize how psycho this makes me sound. But in my defense, I had spent the day getting the piss ripped out of me for referencing the Antipodes as the Antipodes. (laughs) (laughs) Their sniggering echoed in my ears as I sniffed each cup for a detectable odor. Smelt normal. It was only a little powder, a mini-detox even. After all, I didn't want to kill them... Everyone has to shit sometime. (laughs) I told Jamie about my diabolical plan. I don't know what it is about acts of of vengeance that make people horny, but for some reason, in that moment, I was more desirable than toilet paper at Glasto. So, we undressed and got handsy. For this next bit, I just want to say... Like, a lot of you don't actually know me, and that's probably a great thing we should never make eye contact again. But I'm really, I really am really, really sorry. I'm a better person now. (laughs) I was in the middle of a blowjob when there was a knock at the door. (laughs) Lily Potkin, open up and show us this man. It startled Jamie, who took this as an opportunity to, you know, shh. They were early. He was early. Doesn't anyone know how to keep time anymore? Dear audience, I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I panicked. So I, you know, I spat what my boyfriend called his love-wee into one of the coffee cups. Don't look at me like that. Remember the disclaimer. Remember the (laughs) disclaimer. I should explain that I put the coffee cups on the bedside table, which was the only clear surface in the room. This is halls of residence, circa 2000. Ain't nobody got time for a table. I stare at the cup. I stare at Jay. I go into action mode. Tidy hair. Check face. Get dressed. I pay no attention to the cup of coffee that's now become some perverted penis beaker. No time. (laughs) I open the door. Darling, what were you doing? I shrink. I shrink because back then I wasn't brave. The next five minutes are tense. They don't waste a moment, interrogate Jay in the style of a more adept Stasi. He's not happy, but he's being nice. Hmm. With his most charming smile fixed on his face, Jamie says, Would you lovely ladies like a cup of coffee? (laughs) No, 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 Jamie. The kettle is ready, and as he proficiently pours hot water into each cup, he shoots over a conspiratorial wink. What's wrong with you? Don't do it, don't do it. Which one? I look at the cups. Which one? Which cup? Which is the most terrible cup? I see it. It's the chipped blue mug. The chipped blue mug that now holds coffee, laxative powder, and jizz. (laughs) Suddenly, I believe in fate and karma and maybe God as he hands the very worst of cups to Nancy. I start to hyperventilate. I want to stop her from drinking it. I must. But... I'm struck dumb, and the roots of my chair are tangled with my limbs. And as you know, limbs have no conscience. And so I sit there, mute and still, waiting for the most terrible thing to happen. I can't, I can't, I can't do this to her. I decide to knock the cup out of her hand. But then Pete walks in. Pete is Jamie's best friend. He's going out with a bonkers girl who's protesting fees by not showering. I, in turn, want to protest her protest by not breathing in. I digress. Pete walks in. Just as Serene coughs up her first sip. What kind of coffee is this? Strange taste. Is it instant? These were the days before kids learnt to check their privilege. Pete, curious, grabs the cup in Nancy's hand, blue-chipped mug cup and takes a big, big, big sip. Pete, oh, Pete, you poor sweet boy. You've got your best friends Jiz in your gob. <laughs> and, and all you can say is, tastes all right. <laughs> Nancy decides that she'd rather have a cup of tea, and so Pete's decide, Pete decides to finish off. The coffee. I saw Pete recently. He lives in Kent now. He married the bonkers girl and she's a policewoman. That's nice. Something inside me died that day. Hope, love, the willingness to accept hot drinks that I haven't made myself. I don't know. All I know is that when I saw Nancy years later... I was glad to hear that not one of those girls were dead. When I suggested that we get together for coffee sometime, she she made a little noise. And it sounded like no fucking thanks, but I can't be sure. So that's the thing. That's the terrible thing I wanted to talk about. Now let's never mention it again.
0: Right, so um,
1: <laughs>
0: so i'm going to talk about some terrible things I've done now. Uh, I will not top the last act, i don 't think.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> not this time uh, so um, So yeah, uh, I'm Dave and uh, I've been hosting the night Uh, and now I'm going to do a performance Um, but it's it's kind of a performance, kind of a ritual humiliation in public so I'm feeling a bit weird about it. Uh, Let's see how you guys take it. I'm going to feel very strange but anyway, you won't know why I'm going to feel strange for a little while but then you will. Uh, so, like the majority of mainstream media, this set is by a white middle-class uh, hetero cis man, uh, and like the majority of mainstream media, it's directed mostly at the uh, white middle-class hetero cis men in the audience. That's to to everybody else. I apologise. Um, but I just don't see everybody else that isn't a white, heterocyst man uh, as as flawed, you know, like, basically, we're the worst, right? That's what I'm coming from. So I'm talking to you guys, but we're the worst. Um, but everybody else can listen, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, Tragedy is about not understanding your flaws, right? And I think the problem for men is we don't understand our flaws that much um, at all. Uh, culturally speaking, not individually. I'm not having a go at any one individual, apart from myself, uh, as you'll see. Um, and doing, by the flaws that we have is what, how we damage ourselves and it's how we damage other people. Uh, the tragic flaw is often fatal and straight white men are often fatal. I'm afraid. I told you it wasn't all going to be fun and games uh, with me. Anyway, basically I think the majority of problems and misadventures that everyone has in relationships come from how society polices women and men. Uh, The accepted social roles and the false divisions and the unfair power dynamics that we've all got going on that we're trying to struggle with. Uh, The sadness and the pain that men feel around romance comes generally from that place, I think. Uh, As does the sadness and pain that we inflict on other people. Most of my tragic romantic misadventures happened when I was a teenager uh, because I hadn't really worked on myself very much or articulated anything like what I'm just saying now then. Uh, And like looking back over my teens, I'm more and more ashamed, Uh, but okay, let's see. So. Um, You'd think I was coming from a strong position in terms of resisting uh, the social pressures of masculinity. Uh, One of my parallel childhoods went like this. So I was brought up by my dad, mostly. My mum went out to work. He brought up and looked after the kids and did all the domestic chores. He was a part of a feminist book club. He bought feminist books for me, like Bill's New Frock and stuff like that. Um, I was dressed in pink jeans to go to primary school because, you know, my parents were like, you know, that's your nieces, Hand me downs. It's complicated. Why she's older than me, but it is the case. Uh, that's your niece's hand me downs, and you're wearing pink jeans. And I didn't really mind that, and I didn't think anything of it. Went into primary school, discovered I'm not. You know, other people had thoughts on the pink jeans. Uh, but there we go. Uh, And my older sisters and my parents all defined themselves as feminists, so I should have been alright, right? right? I should have been okay. But uh, and for all that, I didn't have a good sex education, I reckon. Uh, Sure, I read, like, the books from the Feminist Book Club. I read the books about how it works and I I read the non... I remember, like, drawing scenes from an Ursula Le Guin book, sex scenes, and I was, like, really into that. So, and people had talked to me about it, so I should have known how it operated, right? But when I was 12, I went into school and I gathered all of the boys around me and I said, guess what? I've discovered the most amazing thing. I've invented this thing. I call it simulated sex. And they all just looked at me a little bit like you're doing. And I, I described what simulated sex was, which is, you know, getting your hand and, uh, you know, doing that sort of thing until you had a really good time that I'd invented, right? It was the best amount of time up to that point that I've ever had, because I fucking invented masturbation, guys. I fucking invented it. But turns out everybody knew what it was, and it was wanking, and that's what that word meant so I discovered that Uh, and you see and again as I say my sex education is not that great when I lost my virginity I I threw a party I was 16 and I threw a party to lose my virginity I don't know why me and my girlfriend must have thought it was a good idea at the time I guess so we threw this party and I uh, basically lost my virginity in my dad's bed weirdly uh, with people like drunk people banging on the door every five minutes but because of the fact that I uh, was so worried about safe sex uh, we kept stopping Every so often to see if the condom had broken, waiting a little bit of time, then starting again with the same condom. Exactly. This is not a good sex education that these feminists have given me, right? Or, or maybe I'm just stupid. That's probably that's probably more the thing. Um, so uh, I had, and also looking back, I realised I didn't have any female friends at primary school. I don't get it. I don't see like I've always had female friends, but not actually within the social groups in primary school. And I think. That might be something that's going on there, but I don't know. Um, So I don't think it's fair to say that I don't know how to talk to girls. I didn't know how to talk to girls. Probably still don't, but I don't think it's fair to say that I didn't exactly not know how to talk to girls. I knew that talking to all humans was pretty much the same, you know, whatever human you're talking to, but I didn't know how to talk to girls about desire, uh, and I didn't know how to negotiate romance, right? So this is a letter. I'm very ashamed of this letter, but I'm going to read it to you that I wrote when I was 14 to a girl that I fancied. Um, it's weird, because my handwriting essentially hasn't changed. So it's really disturbing that this person who is look, looks like me, looks like me handwriting-wise, uh, said these things. Anyway, uh, they're not that bad. I'm probably overegging it. Laura, no dear or anything, a bit weird. Uh, I find it hard to express my feelings for you, to your face, and so I am doing it in a letter. Uh, Brackets, I don't know if I'll ever have the guts to give it to you, but uh, it helps me to write my feelings down, comma, anyway, if you're reading this, you know I've summoned up enough courage to give you the letter, close brackets. (laughs) Anyhow, with the risk of sounding corny, I have liked you for quite a long time now, brackets, certainly since before the party. Now, okay, so the party, at the party, um, we've played Spin the Bottle, and then Champagne Supernova comes on, uh, and, you know, it's one of those kind of moments. Uh, I ask this girl, Anna, who I fancied if she will dance with me. She says no. I sit at the side, sad and depressed, and Laura, Anna's best friend, uh, comes over to me and takes my hand and leads me to the dance floor, and we're dancing. We're slow dancing. I do something I don't Wouldn't do now, which is move my hands down to her ass before I actually have uh, kissed her Uh, But she was accepting of that ass touching, which I don't approve of Um, and uh, Then we kissed and it was like the first kind of kiss where you like know You're an adult and you're having an adult time rather than just like going through the motions. So that's what happened at the party Uh, But I didn't want to say anything uh, so so yeah, so I've said I've liked her for a long time clearly was a lie, right? Uh, But I I didn't want to say anything because everyone knew I fancied Anna, and I didn't want to complicate an already complicated issue. Anyhow, by the time of the party, I had realised that I only liked Anna for her looks. (laughs) And somehow I felt that her and I wouldn't go well together. Like This is like complete bullshit, obviously. And I'm sorry. And so... I had found that the only person I wanted was you. You is underlined twice, and then there's brackets corny afterwards with two two uh, exclamation marks. Now, the thing about that corny is that's the biggest lie, isn't it? That's me, like, really pretending. Like, I'm trying to be Hugh Grant or something here in this letter. It's very unpleasant. Uh, anyway, to, just to mention uh, Anna. Um, Anna is someone who I think I kind of treated like how people talk about this thing, the friend zone. Uh, she was like the geeky, attractive girl and me and my two friends were geeks and so we all sort of felt entitled to her and none of us were ever uh, satisfied in that. Now, I don't really approve of the friend zone. The friend zone actually sounds like a nice place to be because it's nice to be friends with people. Um, but uh, I actually don't uh, like the, what what it's come to mean, obviously. I, uh, my base level for any human of, of any gender is friends, right? Anything else is just extra fun. But uh, the uh, the the friend thing is the initial thing that I like. But nevertheless, I'm ashamed of my teenage behavior, even though I would never have called it friend zone at the time because that hadn't been invented as concepts. So, uh, that was Anna, uh, and that was that. uh, Have I missed anything out? No. So, uh, it came as a Uh, So, anyhow, anyway, what happened at the party between us came as a big surprise to me, brackets, a pleasant surprise, though. Now, that is genuine. It was a pleasant surprise, and so I'm not a horrible, horrible person, just quite horrible. And so I decided to ask you out. You said no, brackets, you know all this already, so why am I telling you it? And I've uh, accepted no for an answer, and now I'm trying just to be a good friend, brackets, although the question still stands if you want to reconsider, I understand, Jesus, I knew I, I, I knew. I judged me. Uh, I understand why you, uh, why you don't want to go out with me and uh, will try to curb the urge to ask you out again. I suppose, in a way, I'm happy that you said no. Not because I don't like you, because I do, but because if you had of said yes, I would have had to let you in, as it were, to the private parts of my personality. Now, this is weird and wrong, too, but I'm going to go through it, and then I'll tell you the truth afterwards. But anyway, I don't know why this was what I thought was a good way of presenting myself. You see, I'm a strange person, comma, me. A mixture of loads of quirky things. I've got my clowning around, confident sides, and my shy and retiring sides. You see, I'm artistic in some ways, and in others, I'm straightforward. God, this horse is sounding wrong. In my head, I can see how I should be explaining this. Why am I writing this instead of editing this? But somewhere between my brain and my pen, something goes wrong. I'll try again. I'm a socialist, things have changed, as we mentioned, and a poet. I get very angry and have a hard to control temper. Why am I telling her that? That is true. Uh, I like messing around with my friends and drinking occasionally. I like thinking about life. I read books, mainly fantasy and sci-fi. I'm a pacifist. I'm confident about most things. I'm not confident about girls, though. Hang on, this sounds wrong again. Shit. Anyway, why am I telling you this? I don't even want to know me. Why can't I get you out of my mind? You said no, that should be the end. Yet, to me, it is not. That's very dicey. I know that I'm just Melvin, the school joke, and this is true. I was kind of like virally bullied. Everyone knew this name, Melvin, that's what happened to me everywhere I went, girls called me Melvin, it meant ugly. Boys called me Melvin, it meant gay. But, uh, and they, you know, people spat at me. It It was tough. I would go darker, but I've already gone quite dark, and I'll leave that for now, but anyway. I know that I'm just Melvin, the school joke, and that you probably just felt sorry for me at the party, but unrequited love feels the same as Melvin, as it does for normal people. But now I'm just feeling sorry for myself, and that's sad two underlines, one exclamation mark. Anyhow, on a lighter note, isn't uh, it great that Owen and Linda have finally got it together? At last, five exclamation marks. I, hope you, do, <laughs> I do, hope you do well in your exams. Anyhow, that's what I should be doing now, revising. So I'll love you and leave you, David, a.k.a. Melvin. P.S. Apologies for the excessive use of the words anyhow and you see. And for, this, and for the, I've crossed out idioticness and put stupidness, but they're both there of the whole letter, PPS, I love you, (laughs) comma uh, brackets, I'm sorry to have to tell you, crossed out with I'm sorry, put instead, PPS, I'm sorry about the handwriting spellings and crossings out, I'm crap at this neatness stuff, and there we go, that's me. I would say, though, to the men in the audience, what I've kind of learnt about myself looking back at the way that I behaved when I was a teenager is that you feel sad because you were promised things that you haven't got. The thing that's making you sad is the promise. You've been told that you're entitled to sex, love, and a lot of other things besides, but you haven't got those things. Of course, you feel bad. You've been tricked, but not by women. You don't need to blame women. You don't even need to blame yourself. You need to blame the false promise. And you need to see that the way to change this situation is to change your approach to the situation. Women are not a prize. They are not a payoff for the male lead. They are people as complicated and fucked up and flawed as you. Our socialization tries to stop us from seeing this. But thousands of years of social conditioning is the one thing that we all share. We've been lied to, and we've been manipulated, and that manipulation hurts some of us more than others, and it benefits some of us more than others. And it's built on lies, and it hurts everyone. And that's that. That's what I've got to say on that. So there we go. Now Kit's going to come on and change the mood.
2: Now maybe I can't throw stones because I lost my virginity at age 21 to someone that looked the spitting image of my cousin. Every five minutes, Dave. That happened once, if it happened at all. My three and a half minutes, I think I managed full stop. (laughs) Knocking on on the door every five minutes did not happen. I didn't allow that to happen. Uh, Lies, all of it lies. Don't don't trust a word he said. Um, So, here we go. My my uh, my final act for the night uh, is well. If you thought Lily Popkin was bad, this is even worse. Joe Roby! <laughs> How's
1: that? <laughs> cool. Uh, I got some short stories for you. might take long. Um, when I'm done, I tend to just drop my paper on the floor. So um, it's a combination of old stories that I've already read out. If you've heard them before, just pretend you haven't. And new ones that I did today on the bus. <laughs> this is uh, this is a club banger, one of the old ones. It's called the Spaceman. It's quite a savoury start on this Father, so just, get, I'll go, it's fine. Uh, he was saying. Uh-huh. He was a spaceman doing a spacewank. Uh, he said. There were some strangled oxygen sounds in there too, like, uh, you know. Uh. sort of thing. A space wank for the uninitiated is a special wank done in space. (laughs) Conditions in space that do not especially allow for a wank, a list, zero gravity, Uh, the constant threat of genitally lethal vacuums, the cold and unending infinite, the juddering oneroticism of elaborate safety signs saying in big bold capital letters, always be sterile. There are many little known facts with regards to space wanks, especially when it comes to the equipment involved, as well as oxygen tanks and suicide pills and special little patches of in-helbit velcro on which to scratch your nose. NASA also issue each astronaut with a special sort of wanking apparatus, which is kind of a big sandwich bag with a high-tension drawstring. <laughs> Down at HQ, they jokingly referred to it as the missile protection device. Astronauts are encouraged to do their wristies into that and then jettison the whole sorry mess into the dark yawning abyss of space for aliens to find and do with as they will. <laughs> That's the plan. But then we find our hero 288 days into a solo mission orbiting the Earth and, honestly, he was just all out of wank bags. <laughs> what he'd done is he jerry-rigged something together out of a rehydrated pea packet and a length of floss and he was... Uh, he was going quite royally at it. <laughs> uh, he was saying. Uh, uh. He'd done it. He'd space just. <laughs> Immediately, red lights started flashing. A burning brightness filled the sky. Captain, come in, they said. Your entire dashboard has shut down. <laughs> he looked around in horror and panic. Round, cold globules of spunk filled the air. The P packet failed, he said. <laughs> To repeat, the P packet has failed. Zero-gravity jizzballs were just shattering in his grasp. They were shooting left, right, and centre. Portholes were smudging up and gabbing up the switches. We have a major international crisis here, Captain, they were saying. You're spiralling towards the Earth. A collision, a gasp, wreckage, flamed and fell into the sea. Anyway, long story short, someone did a wank so hard. We don't have Chizu anymore. <laughs> Thanks. This is a new one, not yet a club banger. (laughs) And we'll see. This one's called The Old Timer. Sponge baths, long balls, varicose veins you could lose a finger in. Oh, hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) She liked old dudes. Ever since she volunteered for the girl Guides in an old people's home during her formative years and saw a retired army major washing his hose in a sink, his body grey and cowed, spotted and hairless, his hands were like gnarled yellow claws and palms of fingers, just scything a bleak little scrap of soap rind around his old chap. She knew what she wanted. She wanted to fuck a dude so hard he needed medicine. She wanted to plough a pensioner into a coma. She wanted to put the F in gilf. (laughs) (laughs) Then pull it out again. Then tenderly put it in again. (laughs) There were obvious drawbacks to this. Old dudes seed an important amount of mechanical and chemical support before they could chuck even a semblance of a woody. Their butts are hungry for prostate stuff. <laughs> and plus, crucially, gaining access to a pool of suitably ruined old dudes was tricky, because they spend their days shitting wetly into a commode while watching then. <laughs> Which is why we find our hero in an extreme position of care at Happy Valley Medical Retreat and Home, a 500-acre facility designed to gently lower the gross of a dismantling into the tepid bath of death. <laughs> are you... No. You don't know what I'm going to say yet. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Not what? Not? Because it looks a lot. To, uh, yeah. Looks a lot to me like you're wanking off an old dude. <laughs> Doctors had been alerted to the weak pleas of "Help me!" and "Stop wanking me off!" and. <laughs> <laughs> she gave me dick pills. Why did she give me dick pills? They walked in and saw a stiff bedsheet rhythmically rising and falling, a 90-year-old diabetic looking sad around the eyebrows. <laughs> you know where I wasn't? You were there. Hmm. You know we're gonna have to send you to a special hospital now. Yeah, with restraints and harnesses. Also, yes. And drugs to make you normal. Yes. <laughs> and so she went there and underwent a rigorous series of electroshocks until she died of a medically assisted fit and her body was buried at a Carvel Council coffin. And a surprising number of army veterans turned up to give her a ten (laughs) gun (laughs) salute. This one's also new. It's called the Titanic. Anyway, yeah, it turns out Leo did survive the Titanic after all and did clamber upon the big door and was trapped now, jowly and balding, in a loveless marriage with Kate Winslet. I swear to fucking God, Kate Winslet, he was saying. I swear to fucking God, if you ask me about putting up that shelf one more time. And another thing Kate Winslet was saying, she was holding a wooden spoon with some soup on the end of it. She was mad as hell and puce around the face. And another thing. When did you last draw me like one of your French girls? <laughs> when did you last steam up the windows of an old ass, rickety ass motor car? Probably the last time you took the trash out without me asking. <laughs> oh, the only trash around here, Kate was is your sister, who I swear may as well be legally defined as a teller. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you dare. Sometimes, Leah said. Sometimes I wish I'd drowned in that big, old, dead, old, cold ocean. Sometimes I wish I'd never shared that big, oversized bit of door with you. (laughs) You take that back. Sometimes I wish you'd just married Billy Zane so I could just pork a load of Irish girls and be happy. You're sleeping on the sofa tonight, you're aware of that. Well, the hell am I getting in that bed? We all know how stingy you are when it comes to personal space. Um, this one's also new. Uh, it's called The Scuttle. Mm, he was saying. There's a bit of a theme to, like, the start of a lot of my stories. Mm, he was saying. Hey, yeah, yeah. He'd been limbering up for months now. Daily vitamin injections, hot box yoga, six ribs removed on the NHS. He was ready. He was ready to chuck a prince. <laughs> he was ready to perform auto-fellatio. He was ready to bend his body in half like a pretzel and put his dick in his mouth. A stunt like this needs preparation and a shopping list a new hair trimmer, because one errant pube and a coughing fit and you're going to be in traction. <laughs> An excess of chapstick, pineapple chunks. <laughs> he was saying, Grr! he patted his lips like a chimp going after a banana. He tilted his entire body weight back and there, in one perfect moment, he gulped up his helmet. <laughs> Curiously warm, resting slightly on his teeth. Tasting of salty cutlery. <laughs> Why, his grandma asked, did dinner table. Why are you all folded over like a paper plate? Obviously his spine had collapsed like a Jenga tower. And then the whole thing had just locked in place. Obviously he was now bent permanently over like a deck chair. He scuttled places now like a crab. <laughs> his balls tainted arsehole permanently pointed at his own face. <laughs> his feet behind his ears. Crowds laughed. Teens jeered. A football team picked him up once and frisbeed him into a bin. doctors looked at clipboards and then looked sad (laughs) you're locked like this they said you will never need leg room on a coach again because you know because you're all clammed up like a calzone (laughs) your body is the saddest pastry but did it bother him? did it bother him that he needed special apparatus to put his underpants on or horse tranquilizers for his constant pain. Did it bother him that the Guinness Book of Records contacted him for an entry under World's Most Folded Man? (laughs) No, he said, proudly, baying like a wolf to the midnight sky. No! And there he sat in his room, blowing himself all night. (laughs) Sat especially backwards so the tears could run out of his eyes and down his face.
4: One more.
1: I'm told I only have time for one more. Regulars will know which one. This one's called The Politician. Does David Cameron know what sex is? It's something poor people do to make money. Does Nick Clegg know what sex is? I have put my penis inside exactly 30 women, he says. And no, not really. Does Boris Johnson know what sex is? Something about whiffles, he says, Something about my whiffle? He calls his penis his whiffle. Something about that, my whiffle hurts. I put my whiffle between the sofa cushions. And so the question is this. Does any politician know what sex is? A single hand in the back of the room. A spotlight angles towards the center of shot. I know what sex is, says Anne Widdicombe. (laughs) I've done a sex. Sometimes I even do it for fun. And you're thinking about it. Like a rotisserie chicken yawning itself inside out. You're thinking about it. Like a big bag full of frogs jumping and croaking in unison. You're thinking about it. You're thinking about Anne Widdecombe right now, splayed and naked on a table. Ooh, Anne Widdecombe is saying. And you're thinking about it. Ooh. Anne Widdecombe lying prone on a sheepskin rug. Anne Widdecombe running one gnarled finger down the smoothest, softest part of your neck she whispers, luridly licking her teeth. And you're thinking about it. Widdicombe. (laughs) Anne Widdicombe, tying a cherry stalk in a knot with her tongue. Anne Widdicombe, slowly deep-throating a rocket ice lolly. (laughs) Anne Widdicombe, taking her bra off without removing her orthopedic tunic. And you're thinking about it. <laughs> Anne Widdecombe, warm and hairless like a bodybuilder, pink and thick like a wrestler. <laughs> Anne Widdecombe's buttocks slowly, varicously blush pink, wobbling slightly beneath the slap of a young scared intern. Anne Widdecombe is moving near now, moving faster. Anne Widdecombe <laughs> is pointing at the entire Tory party conference in turn. Come on then! Anne Widdecombe is saying. <laughs> Come on! Anne Widdecombe is drunk at gleaming and wailing, her eyes on fire, the party conference aghast. I'll take all of you on! <laughs> Anne Whittacombe's hot breath is on your spine. Anne Widdecombe is shoulder barging with all her might against Bruno Tonioli's dressing room. <laughs> Anne Widdecombe has never felt so sexy, so alive. Anne Widdecombe is touching herself in places she's never been touched before. Anne Widdecombe is being led away to an ambulance. <laughs> when Anne Widdecombe approaches climax, she screams, I'm Anne coming!" <laughs> Anne Widdecombe is outside your window, watching, waiting. Anne Widdecombe is making you think about it.
2: And just quickly, I thought you—I th- reckon you thought I was lying when I said it was going to be worse than Lily's story about spunking and laxative-laced coffee. But I—I I think history is. Uh, <laughs> will prove me right Dave
0: yeah and and just quickly actually weirdly I ended up going out with the girl I read that letter to for six months but she did finish for me because I was a Melvin Um, so uh, well not just for that reason actually it's quite hard to go out with someone who's being bullied anyway
2: we are there's nothing on my clipboard obviously uh, but uh, I'd like to thank you all for coming we are uh, Been here much longer than we were supposed to. Sorry be. about that. So we need to run downstairs fairly quickly. We'll clean up the glasses. Uh, leave that with me. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter. I will be posting links to all of my fantastic acts. Plus so
0: yeah, we we will too. And you can find us on Twitter too at Stand Up For Tragedy. And you can find us on Facebook and all of the places on the internet that you can find people. Have a have a good walking to the door and leaving in a car. Thank you very much way. for coming. Thank you very much for coming.
2: See you soon. Uh, Bye. <laughs>
4: So you can
0: find out more about Romantic Misadventure at romanticmisadventure.com and you can follow my co-host for these episodes, Kit Lovelace, at Kit Lovelace on Twitter. Come and see Stand-Up Tragedy daily from the 2nd to the 24th of August at the Banshee Labyrinth as part of the Free Fringe at the Edinburgh Festival.
4: It's time to go.
0: And we'll be back doing London shows on the 25th of September, where we're at the dog star with Tragic Friends.
4: It's time to go.
0: Speaking of friends, you can make friends with the tragedy over on Facebook, where we're Stand Up Tragedy. You can also like us over there. And if you want to follow the tragedy, you can do that on Twitter. At Stand Up for Tragedy. Check out our website, www.standuptragedy.co.uk, for more information on the lineups, for podcasts as they come out, and also there's a donate button over there, a PayPal donate button, and that will help us and me to continue the tragedy. This podcast was recorded by Stephen Harvey with music. From Samuel Wilkinson and George Brufton. It was put together by me. Join us next week for a special Best of Stand-Up Tragedy podcast put together by Bryony Hawkins. And now, the tragedy is over.